1982, there are some that would say the Chicago Bears had a pretty good football team. Any Bears fans out there? A couple. The schedule was, was released by the NFL recently, and I noticed this year the Bears are playing Hartford High School, and <laughs> my money's on Coach Reddards at Hartford. Just. So anyway, I digress. 1982, there's some that said the Bears had a pretty good football team, but for some reason they just weren't gelling and winning. And so a decision was made to shake things up, and they brought in a controversial coach named Mike Ditka to shake things up. Now, now one version of the story goes something like this, that he sat the entire team down and said, I'm not so much interested in how fast you can run or how hard you can tackle or how well you can catch the ball. What matters to me first is character. Then he went on to say, and I've got some good news and some bad news. Here's the good news. Give me three full years and we're going to the Super Bowl. The bad news is half of you won't be here to see it. Three full years later in 1986, the Chicago Bears not only went to the Super Bowl, but defeated the New England Patriots 46-10 to in a blowout. Leadership and character matter. Trust in leadership in our world right now is at an all-time low. Our last two presidents have had the lowest approval rating since Richard Nixon in 1974, 34 and 32 percent, respectively. Trust in corporations and corporate executives have eroded. The last few years, some have called into question those in the medical field, those in the education field, and, and clergy, pastors who were once deeply trusted are now looked upon with suspicion. In the year 2002, the Boston Globe uncovered a global abuse scandal within the Roman Catholic Church, and a film was created called Spotlight to document the story. In 2020, as we navigated our way through a global pandemic, pastors were criticized for what they did or did not do. In 2022, the Southern Baptist Church was forced to release the list of over 700 names of those accused of or charged with abusing those within their own churches. And dozens of high-profile, non-denominational churches and not-for-profits have made the news, even had documentaries made about them, because of the catastrophic moral decisions made by their leadership. As the dust clears in all of this, the casualties are often found in the next generation. Russell Moore, the theologian, wrote that we now see young evangelicals walking away from the church not because they do not believe what the church teaches, but because they believe the church itself does not believe what the church teaches. To make it even more personal, my first real mentor in ministry, a pastor who served in the same city I served in, had an affair on his wife and had to leave the ministry in disgrace, forcing my 20-year-old mind to ask questions, filling my heart with confusion and frustration. 
Now, I don't say any of these things in judgments because I believe every one of us in this room is one poor decision away from disaster. I say this because leadership and character matter. This is relevant because every one of us who choose to be a part of a faith community, whether it's a large church or a small church that meets in a home, will have some form of leadership guiding that body. And so I think there are some things that you should expect from those that lead your church. And I think there are some things that those who lead should presume about those that follow. So the truth is there are lots of leaders in our world from politics to education, medicine to religion that do live with integrity, with character, doing the very best that they can and are still met with a litany of character assassination, criticism, and personal attack. Which is why those who are leaders will tell you that it's not the work that's hard, it's the weight that you carry. This brings us now to 1 Corinthians chapter 4. I invite you to turn there with me. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, the entire chapter is dedicated to the Apostle Paul addressing his critics. And it's complicated. This whole chapter is dedicated to the relationship that a church has between leaders and followers. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, beginning in verse 1. I'm going to read the whole chapter, so lean in, lean in here with me. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. Now, a person who was put in charge as a manager must be faithful. As for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. So don't make judgments about anyone ahead of time before the Lord returns, for he will bring our darkest secrets to light and will reveal our private motives. Then God will give to each whatever praise is due. Dear brothers and sisters, I have used Apollos and myself to illustrate what I've been saying. If you pay attention to what I've quoted from the scriptures, you won't be proud of one of your leaders at the expense of another. For what gives you the right to make such a judgment? What do you have that God hasn't given you? And if everything you have is from God, why boast as though it were not a gift? You think you already have everything you need. You think you are already rich. You have begun to reign in God's kingdom without us. I wish you really were reigning already, for then we would be reigning with you. Instead, I sometimes think God has put us apostles on display, like prisoners of war at the end of a victor's parade, condemned to die. We become a spectacle to the entire world, to people and angels alike. Our dedication to Christ makes us look like fools, but you claim to be so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are so powerful. You are honored, but we are ridiculed. Even now we go hungry and thirsty, and we don't have enough clothes to keep warm. We are often beaten and have no home. We work wearily with our hands to earn our living. We bless those who curse us. We are patient with those who abuse us. We appeal gently when evil things are said about us, yet we are treated like the world's garbage, like everybody's trash right up to the present moment. 
not writing these things to shame you, but I warn you as my beloved children, for even if you had 10,000 others to teach you about Christ, you have only one spiritual father. For I became your father in Christ Jesus when I preached the good news to you. So I urge you to imitate me. That's why I've sent Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord. He'll remind you of how I should follow, how I followed Christ just as I teach in all the churches wherever I go. Some of you have become arrogant, thinking I will not come and visit you again. But I will come and soon, if the Lord lets me, and then I'll find out whether these arrogant people are just give pretentious speeches or whether they really have God's power. For the kingdom of God is not just a lot of talk, it is living by God's power. Which do you choose? Should I come to you with a rod to punish you? Or should I come with love and a gentle spirit? Now, this entire chapter of First Corinthians is dedicated to conflict with leadership in the church. The letter was written to a specific congregation in a city called Corinth, which was a Roman colony. Now, I first want to say from the very beginning that this is not like some passive-aggressive way of me addressing some big issue at Northbrook Church because I'm not really aware of any. I could be wrong, but I don't think there are any major issues. But this is relevant for the days that we're living in because we are filled with contention and conflict in our world, and it so easily makes its way into churches. See, In this chapter, the Apostle Paul is leaning into the relationship that a congregation has with its ministers, which is a really personal thing because trust is involved. And trust is a funny thing. It takes a long time to earn trust in such a small amount of time to lose it. Maybe you're here and you have trust issues with churches. Maybe you've been been hurt in a church, you have some kind of form of church hurt, and, and if that's you, to you all, I just, I say to you, I'm sorry, I, I hate that that happened to you, it's a tragedy. Or maybe you're here and somehow I've disappointed you or offended you or hurt you and or one of our leaders have disappointed you or offended you or hurt you, and to you, I, I also say I'm sorry, I wish it didn't happen. I've dropped the ball many times, I have regrets. They don't do it intentionally. None of the leaders here do. None of us wake up in the morning and say, wow, how can we disappoint people today? (laughs) The truth is, if you want to be a part of anything that will not disappoint you, then go get a dog and never leave your house. (laughs) Not a cat, because they're very disappointing, but but get... (laughs) Now I've heard all the the cat people in church. (laughs) We also live with this modern challenge... We have such incredible access to things online, to sermons and worship music, and we can download anything. But what you can't download is community. What you can't download is relationship. Of course, there are pastors and teachers and preachers online that are way better than me, but you don't know them. They're not standing out in the lobby when you walk out. I mean, someone can be a great Bible teacher and still be a jerk. Of the six pastors I regularly follow online, four of them are no longer serving as pastors because of a deep flaw in their character leading to catastrophic failure. 
But let's flip the script a little bit, the part that nobody ever talks about. I also know lots of church leaders who have been wounded and hurt by their congregation and are no longer in ministry because of how they've been abused emotionally by those that they were trying to serve. And so in today's text, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I want to first look at how you can measure a leader. But then secondly, as we make our way through the letter, I think there are some responsibilities of those that follow. So as we begin, I want to say that that Christian leadership is measured differently. Sometimes corporate culture can influence the church in such a way that the church becomes more of a business than a mission. We lose sometimes sight of the sacredness of our mission. There are some that have accused churches of being only concerned about money or only wanting to grow big or only wanting to put on a big production. And in some cases, those accusations aren't too far from the truth. They're actually fair. I don't take for granted that each week many of you choose to be a part of this congregation. And so here's what I think, taken from the scripture, that you can expect from those that serve the church that you love. I think you can expect that we would be servants of Christ, verse 1. So look at Apollos and me as mere servants of Christ who have been put in charge of explaining God's mysteries. I personally am here for only one reason. I believe that God led me here to serve this congregation. I left the Rocky Mountains of Colorado to come here. I left some of the best skiing in the world some of the best hiking and best mountain biking there is. And I don't have one single regret. It was one of the greatest decisions I've ever been led to make. Because I feel that God has, has led me to serve this church. Over the 13 years I've been here, I've been asked to apply for other jobs at other churches, and I've politely declined because I believe that God has asked me to be here in the midst of all of our goodness and complexity. When I took this role at Northbrook, I never negotiated my salary, and I've never asked for a raise. I've simply taken what I've been given by the elders because I believe God has asked me to serve this church. I believe God has asked me to enter into the mystery with you. The mystery of God as we live life on this earth. On Saturday, I performed a wedding for two Northbrookers and I stood before them and their family and friends and as they made commitments to each other, I entered into the mystery of God with them. We just had a bunch of child dedications. And so as I stood there and held those children in my arms, I entered into the mystery of God with those families. And I can tell you there are a lot of mysteries when it comes to parenting. Many I have not yet figured out. I've entered into the mystery of joy with many of you as you've celebrated your successes and your prosperity and God's goodness in your life. And I've also entered into the mystery of loss and pain and disappointment with you. Because the mystery isn't just about life on earth, it's also about life after death and eternity. On Friday, I was part of a funeral here, and I entered into the mystery of death with family. I don't want to just prepare 
us for living life on earth, but also entering death, the greatest mystery of all. If you flip the pages in the Bible of, to the book of Second Timothy, chapter 2, the Apostle Paul goes into great detail as to what it means to serve. Second Timothy chapter 2 is written to a pastor named Timothy. The Apostle Paul writes in verse 24, a servant of the Lord must not quarrel, but must be kind to everyone, able to teach and be patient with difficult people. Gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those people's hearts and they will learn the truth. So as the Apostle Paul is now writing to this young pastor named Timothy, he's essentially saying, here's what the people you serve can expect of you. First, they can expect that you're not quarrelsome, that you won't fight and argue. You can't just get into people's faces and bash them because that's not biblical. The author Ed Stetzer said this, you can't hate people and engage them with the gospel at the same time. You can't be at war with people and show them the love of Jesus. You can't be both outraged and on mission at the same time. And yet it is so easy to get drawn into unhealthy debate and quarrel. I believe that you can have differences of opinion on all kinds of things, that you can have robust discussion and still live with civility, love, and unity. Now, sometimes people try to draw me into debate, and sometimes I kind of take the bait. Like I, years ago, I got drawn into this quarrel about a decision we'd made, and someone was very upset with me. And so I called them. Anyone that I'll call, anybody has a challenge, I'll call, we'll talk it out. And so I called this person and said, just share with me your heart, man, what's going on? And so I just listened and I listened and I listened. And when I was done, I took my phone off my ear and I looked at the timestamp on my phone that tells you how long the call had been. 90 minutes. I listened to someone tell me how ridiculous I am for 90 minutes. But it wasn't quarrelsome. Because he goes on to say, don't be quarrelsome, but be kind. The word kind means gentle. It doesn't mean frail. It has to do with, with our nature. Now, I realize that sometimes I'm hard to kind of read. I know my face betrays me. Many think that I'm angry, and I just say it's just my face. I don't know how to fix that besides plastic surgery. My wife hasn't figured it out yet, so you probably won't either. But I try to be kind. I try to be nurturing to those that I've been asked to serve. And he goes on to write, if you're going to serve, you also have to be able to teach. And I think there are some expectations that come with this. I know lots of pastors and teachers that brag about how they never went to Bible college or seminary. I don't need that. I just, you know, just teach the Bible and just imagine I, I went to my doctor and he told me I needed to have my appendix out. So I went to the surgeon. The surgeon said to me, well, I've never been to medical school, but I've read books on taking out your appendix. So it should be okay. We should probably figure this out together. And I'd probably find a different surgeon because I, I have some expectations around his skill, his knowledge, and his experience. He then goes on to saying, you need to be patient, particularly with difficult people. You ever had a difficult person in your life? There are some difficult people out there. Nobody at this church, but there are some. 
out there. I served a church out west, and there was a woman in our church, Lord bless her, we'll call her Martha for the sake of anonymity, and she, um, she was difficult. If I'm being honest, she was the bane of my existence. I could do nothing right. Everything was always wrong. I was always failing, always stupid. I, just, I could never, ever please this person. So when my wife and I left and moved here, I jokingly said to my wife, well, at least I'll never have to deal with Martha again. So a couple of years into my tenure here, we were over in the sanctuary, the chapel was our sanctuary, and I was up speaking, and we had a medical emergency happen in the back, um, which we do from time to time, and so someone was having a medical thing going on, and so our response team went back there, and it was, we had to call the, the paramedics, which we do from time to time, and they were working on the person, so I, I didn't know if I should stop or what I should do, but what I decided to do was, I didn't want people to be, I didn't want people to be distracted and make that person embarrassed. So I, I walked over to this side of the platform over there. So people would look this way, right? It's not that way. And so I'm still speaking. And as I'm speaking, I look out and I say, wow, that person sure looks like Martha from out west. <laughs> and I continue speaking. And then I look and I say, I think that is Martha from out west. <laughs> At the end of the service, she runs up and she says, Pastor Mike, I have family in Wisconsin, and I found you. (laughs) True story. Can't make this stuff up. Be patient with difficult people. And as you're doing that, gently instruct. Verse 25, gently instruct those who oppose the truth. Perhaps God will change those humble hearts, and they will learn the truth. Be humble. I think you can expect us to be humble, not getting over-emotional. There are some that would say, you just got to pound the truth into people. That's not what this says. Gently instruct, because only God can change the heart. And I don't want to get in God's way. You can expect those that serve this church to be servants. You can also expect them to be faithful. Verse 2, now a person who is put in charge must be faithful, dependable, reliable. You should expect those that lead to be faithful to God, to take care of their spiritual life, to to know the scriptures and read, to, to be people of prayer. But I think you should also expect those that serve to be faithful to their families. Because if I can't manage my relationship with God and my family, how can I ever manage the relationships of a church. If a Christian leader is a powerful speaker, a strong man of strong, or one woman of strong convictions, speaks out about things as entrepreneurial in their leadership, but their marriage is falling apart, I don't know that I'd follow them. It's not a judgment. I mean, I think if that's you, take a leave of absence and get your life figured out and then come back. I know because I lived that story. In 2007, I was burned out and my marriage was falling apart, in part because I was a workaholic. And I just couldn't do it anymore, so I went to my board and I asked for a leave of absence, which I took, worked on my life, my faith, and my marriage, and I came back into ministry. There was no moral failure. There was no great 
miss. I just was burnt out and my marriage was paying the price. My wife will tell you today if she was here that our marriage is the best it's ever been. I think you can also expect those that lead to be faithful to you individually and corporately. And finally, Paul goes on to write, what you can expect from those that lead your church is to be a people lover but not a people pleaser. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verses 3 and 4, as for me, it matters very little how I might be evaluated by you or by any human authority. I don't even trust my own judgment on this point. My conscience is clear, but that doesn't prove I'm right. It is the Lord himself who will examine me and decide. Now, truth be told, I'm a recovering people pleaser. Any people pleasers out there? A couple of you? Like, I don't like it when people don't like me. Is that fair to say? I don't. I don't like it when people harshly criticize me. I don't. I really do love people. I choose to see the best in people. I choose to see grace. But I just made this startling revelation. I can never make everybody happy. I've tried. Like, I've really tried. I wanted to be the guy that would go to pastor's conferences and said, I finally cracked the code. I have made every single person in my church completely happy. Every person in my congregation walks in singing, don't worry, be happy, because I just make them mad joyful. But it's not true. I once heard a talk given by someone, and they went something like this. They said, listen, in life, some will, some won't. In life, some will love you, some will love what you do, and some won't. And that's okay. Some will like me, some won't. Some will like Northbrook, some won't. That's Okay. Then this letter takes an interesting and sarcastic tone. You can almost feel the tension in the Apostle Paul's words because now he starts to address the things that leaders can expect from those that are following. And he begins with trust and understanding because it is easy to criticize from the cheap seats. 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 8. You've got to hear this with a sarcastic tone because that's how it's written. Already you have all you want. Already you've become rich. You have begun to reign and without us. How I wish that you really had begun to reign so that we might also reign with you. For it seems to me that God has put us apostles on display at the end of a procession, like those condemned to die in the arena. We've been made a public spectacle for the whole universe to angels as well as human beings. We are fools for Christ, but you are so wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are honored and we are dishonored. To this very hour, we go hungry and thirsty. We're in rags. We're brutally treated. We're homeless. We work hard with our own hands. When we are cursed, we bless. And when we're persecuted, we endure it. When we are slandered, we answered kindly. We have become the scum of the earth, the garbage of the world, right up to this moment. I was at a Brewers game a few weeks ago. Someone generously gave me really good seats. And it's probably some of the best seats I've ever had. And it was really cool being right down on the first baseline. And the only hard part was that the woman behind me thought she was the umpire. <laughs> and the, the pitcher would throw... And 
the umpire would say, ball, and she'd say, no, that's a strike. And I just kind of wanted to turn around and say, how could you possibly know that? I mean, these are good seats, but the angle that we had, it wasn't the angle that the umpire had. It wasn't the view of the one standing behind home plate. An umpire might not make the perfect call every time, but he does have the best view, and someone trusts him to be there. Leaders often see things from a different angle and hope that people will trust and understand. But because we have so much access to so much, everyone's an expert. It's like I walk into my doctor and I say, Doc, this is what I have. I've already checked it out on WebMD. I just need you to treat me. <laughs> well, Mike, we probably needed to check you out. No, nope. not only did I check out on WebMD, I went to the Cleveland Clinic's website. I went to the Mayo Clinic website. I know what it is. Just treat it. Well, we probably need to do an exam first just to make sure. I mean, with so much out there, who do you actually trust? And what is the substance of that trust? Because I think the expectation could be that there's a little bit of humility and openness. Because sometimes all that access can make us a little bit arrogant if we're not careful. Verse 18, some of you have become arrogant thinking I will not visit you again. Thinking you've got it all figured out. Now listen, we, I, have people all the time bringing helpful critique or challenge to something I said, and I welcome it. I actually welcome robust, healthy dialogue and conversation. That's how we go. I've even shifted my perspective on things because of good conversations I've had with people. But every once in a while, you know, you get someone who will read or listen to something online and just want to argue and debate. Years ago, I recommended a book that I really liked, really enjoyed, and I recommended this book to our congregation. And someone came to me upset and said, I can't believe you recommended that book. That's a terrible, why would you ever recommend that book? And I said, well, did you read it? Well, no, but, well, then how do you know? Well, this person online said it's a bad book. I said, well, I bet you you can find someone online that said it's a good book, too. I once gave a sermon in... Someone came to see me not because they wanted to talk things out. They just wanted to chastise me. But what I said and wasn't really going anywhere. So they just kind of opened up the Bible and started reading it to me. Like just verses that had nothing to do with what we were talking about. And I stopped them. I said, listen, I, I appreciate what you're trying to do. Like I've read the Bible like multiple times, cover to cover. I've dedicated my life to learning and study. I, this is what I do. Like, I, and I said, listen, I've got multiple theological degrees. I know it. And then they said, oh, wait, you're just hiding behind your degrees. I'm like, okay. Is there a little bit of humility and openness? Maybe grace. Extending grace. Listen, sometimes the standards are impossible. Over all my years of serving as a, a pastor, I've, you know, people come and go. It's just part of the nature of church. It's just what happens. Sometimes people move. Sometimes people get upset. It's just part of it. And, but sometimes the reasons are just ridiculous. 
Years ago, a family left our church because they saw me in the grocery store and apparently I didn't interact with them the way that I was supposed to and they got mad and left. Maybe I had a bad day. Maybe I just fought with my wife. Maybe one of my kids did what one of my kids do. Who knows? Maybe it was just my face. So I think there are responsibilities placed on those that lead and their responsibilities placed on those that choose to be a part of anything. So can we not just have grace for one another because we are together on a sacred mission that's bigger than any of us? Can we live with integrity as a congregation because we're called to live with unity, not uniformity, but with unity? The word integrity it means wholeness to be together and whole. And so last week we had a next step. And that next step was that we would commit to living together with integrity, that we would walk in unity and love with one another and grace. And so the next step was when you walk out the doors in the hallway just to the left there, uh, there's a big sign that says integrity. And now there's a bunch of signatures on it. And the challenge was for all of us just to say, yeah, I'm I'm committing to that. I'm committing to integrity. I'm committing to wholeness, not perfection, because there's no such thing as perfection, but I'm kind of all in with this. And we signed our names. And if you weren't here this week, maybe the next step is to head over to that sign. The felt tip pens are out there. Just grab it and just put your name on it and say, yeah, I'm all in. Not, this isn't perfect, but I'm in. I want to serve Christ and I believe in the mission of this church. So let's live together on mission. Let's live together with integrity. Let's honor and respect and give grace to one another. I think that's what the Lord would ask of us. So now, God, um, I'm grateful for the words of Scripture. And as you make our way through the book of 1 Corinthians, may you illuminate your life. May you illuminate truth. May you illuminate application and transformation. Help us to consider these words. Words that are relevant to us today as those doing our very best to be faithful followers of Christ.